0: You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. Welcome back to the Dominion podcast, season two, episode four, we're wearing different clothes today. Yeah. uh, Our astute viewers have noticed I've also shaved, which means this is a different day than the last time.
1: We've inverted. Last time I was here, you had a beard. Yeah. Your beard was really thin. You weren't fully reformed yet. That's right. And I think I didn't have a beard at the time. So we've all, we've all decided to go the opposite direction for today.
0: Are you going full knocks with that beard or what? (laughs) I wouldn't mind. I mean, my wife might mind. He was Scottish, so he probably had red hair, right? Yeah. 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 This great. is the Welsh in me for sure. Oh, you yeah. look
1: like Knox. Knox was the personal bodyguard for one of the preachers in Scotland when was Reformation he? broke out, That's and great. he went from being a personal bodyguard to his own pastorate. So you <laughs> you look like you could do that Knox
0: thing well. Does a uh, do our seminaries have entry requirements like that nowadays? Like <laughs> what can you bench? <laughs> yeah, what do you? Do you even squat? Do you even squat, bro?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they. What, what they have is like how to how to ensure your church has a safe space with beanbag chairs and crayons. I think that's yeah. that's the requirement. Yeah. yeah. We've well, had to uh, think
2: about security in the last couple of years. Yeah, that's true. Even before, not related even just to lockdowns and stuff, but even just a degenerate culture. Churches are, we're used to churches being a safe place to go. I mean, you don't lock your door, you leave it open so people can come. But when you think about it, it's a public meeting place with yeah. lots of people in a, like together, yeah. you know, it's it's a, it's a target-rich environment, as, yes. as someone might say. Unless so, you're in
0: Texas, yeah, don't bother trying because you're probably going to get put down before you get too far. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm Jeremy Boyd, one of your hosts. I'm Alex Kloester. We got a we got a special guest. You know who cares about you?
1: <laughs> I care about him.
0: <laughs> we got a special guest back on. Uh, t- is this your second time or third time now?
1: Second time. My third time doesn't really count. We use the studio for the provincial election live stream. Right. So it's my third time in here but second time on the show.
0: Well, this is Andrew DiBartolo, Pastor Andrew DiBartolo. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, what it is you do, Um, the podcast you just mentioned there. What's that? How do people get a hold of that?
1: So I'm the teaching elder at Encounter Church in Kingston. Been there for about seven years. That's that's my primary thing, Uh, loving and caring for our people in these very unique times and having to navigate cultural issues we've all had to grow and be stretched in the last number of years, especially. So that's been good. I've also recently had the opportunity to step on as the Director of Operations for the Liberty Coalition Canada. And so I host a podcast with Matt Halleck, the Liberty Dispatch. I'm able to engage in some really good political work. Mm -hmm. You know, this past Monday, we saw about 14 candidates win in Ontario who were connected with Christians That Care, which is a kind of Christian candidate training thing that we've been running at Liberty Coalition. That's great. I know, and one in Manitoba. Did you send the word about this? That's coming out tonight. Okay, because I went through the
2: grapevine. I'm like, why is no one celebrating? So we talked,
1: the podcast we released last night, we talked about it. Okay. But the one that we're releasing tonight actually has me interviewing three of those candidates. Oh, Great. And explaining mm-hmm. exactly what happened in Ontario.
0: So is that a daily podcast then, or like we do or... twice
1: a week? Our podcast normally drops Tuesday and Thursday, and then Mike's interviews are
0: Saturday. Wow. How do you find the time? We you know we have trouble putting one out every two weeks now.
1: I talk a lot. It's yeah. easy. It's, <laughs> it's it's easy to talk a lot. Uh, it, it's also one of the one of the benefits of having a smaller church mm-hmm. is that. I'm freed up to be able to do this stuff. Yeah. And for my people, they encourage me and free me up too. So that's kind of what I'm doing. So last time I was here, one of those hats was on. The other one was not. Yeah. Last time I was here, I think I was just a campaign manager at the
0: time. Right. 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 And uh, do you want to talk about your other upcoming? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Don't say anything about all that. All right. All right. We're well, just going to leave that
1: one there. we just going to leave Nothing that is st- Pay no attention. To the man behind the pay curtain. Pay no attention to the comments <laughs> behind the curtain. <laughs>
0: Well, I guess I should have left it at that. But uh, yeah, what are we talking about today? Well, I thought what
2: we would do is we would um, discuss the commission that is presently ongoing in relation to the implementation of the emergency
1: um, act that was put in place. I call call it the the, War Measures Act. That's what I call it on our show, too. I call it the War Measures Act 2.0. Yeah. All they did was change the name so that they can say it's... Never been used before, except yeah. for World War One, Two, and the murderous kidnapping riots felt, in Montreal. Yeah. Other than that, yeah, yeah bouncy castles, so, and French toasts, French the, toast in the middle of the street.
2: Uh, implementation of the War Measures Act on the part of our federal government last year in February uh, to crush the peaceful protest that was happening in Ottawa, and. Um, just so you know, we're not going to spend the episode going through all the details of the commission, it's been very enlightening. The good thing is, you can listen to all the video, you can find it online, you can actually hear the testimony uh true north news has done a great job doing as a great far job as breaking the down recaps. the key points from each day
0: they have kind of a roundup they do, yeah they or? have a
2: roundup but again if you follow true north news and their reporters even rebel news is covering it online that they'll post clips you can hear from the the police and the various from the levels of government mouth. themselves um
1: Andrew and the Liberty Dispatch did. You've been doing episodes ongoing of this. So Every episode will cover a little bit of bite-sized portions of what's going on to help yes. kind of give everyone the highlights.
2: Yeah. So if you want to keep up with that, I point people in that direction. Um, it's going to be going on for like another four weeks or something. Just, after the
1: first week, I found fa- it, it was pretty
2: much over. Well, after yeah. The first it, week. it
1: was like you're beating this. this person is dead. Yeah. And you, so for five more weeks, we're going to keep beating the narrative into a pulp.
0: Yeah. Um, Is it because they've kind of retained everybody for six weeks? So they need to spend all that money or what, what's the deal? That's
1: because I think it's all the people that they have testifying. Yeah.
0: Right. So they've there's lined up everyone list. and they
1: want to make sure they get, and there's actually something else that, um, I don't know if your, your audience would be keen on this, but if you go to bright light news, mm. they have an opportunity where you can upload any video or audio that you have from the three-week period of time. Oh, right They on. have a really neat... And so you you say what day and time it was, and then you upload your video, and then it plots it all on this timeline. Mm. And the whole goal of this is to help provide this to the commission yeah. so that they'll have video and audio all around Ottawa throughout the whole three weeks right. yeah. to be able to assess it honestly. So that's yeah. Bright Light News has that link to the... Uh, that timeline that they're doing mm. where they're inviting people to, to submit their stuff. That's mm.
2: great. So what I thought we would spend the episode talking about is not all the details, but kind of the implications of what's coming out. Um, so for those who haven't been following, we could, we could summarize the commission, the revelations coming out of the commission, as exposing the government and media narrative as literally entirely false. So not just embellishing, but actually the opposite—the opposite of what's <laughs> true. Complete propaganda. Complete propaganda, yeah. and we and we use that word technically. Um, it was an intentional propaganda campaign, and so various deg- levels of government and especially police authorities have testified to several things. Uh, one, there was a plan in place to um, peacefully end the demonstrations. Uh, and that was presented to the highest levels of government, including our prime minister. None of the police who have testified, the head of Ottawa police, um, uh, Ontario Provincial Police, uh, RCMP, all of them are on record saying that the Emergencies Act was not necessary, that they had the existing legislation. If they wanted to end the protest, they could have done it within the bounds of the law, which is the opposite of what the government you know, safety minister Uh, was saying that the the, the law enforcement requested this. No one requested it, and they all confirmed under oath that they could have done the exact same thing in the exact same time without the implementation of the War Measures Act. Further than that, it's come out that the entire narrative surrounding the convoy, which we know we were there, you went as well, Um, is entirely false, that in one one intelligence officer's testimony, he used the word shocking to describe how peaceful it was. He said it was shocking how peaceful it was. And this is what I've been telling people. It was the kind of environment that you would bring your children to because there was everyone knew what the government wanted was for violence to break out. They wanted an excuse. And so everyone was not only self-policing, but was encouraging others to maintain um, peace the whole time. And frankly, people who came there were there because they loved their country, they loved each other they were that happy
0: obvious to anybody that watched any of the footage yeah. or saw the people that gathered on the overpasses or yeah. went to any of those types of functions
2: so there was there was there was virtually no criminal activity that happened it came out that there was zero foreign funding so our prime minister said up to 50% of funding was
1: from foreign people and, and yeah, well, that's why goFundme shut it shut down there yeah exactly. the claim that it was internet it was foreign funds and that's yeah. when they said sorry nine million dollars goodbye so our government agency that oversees fraud and this type of thing said no there's no
2: evidence of foreign funding this is like everyday Canadians the people we saw on the bridges while well, they're making yeah. their way just throwing in 10 20 bucks you know whatever it is to support them so the words insurrection the words um taking over government It's completely false. Uh, They came out that there was emergency vehicles were allowed to move. I witnessed this. There was lanes open, even on Wellington. Emergency vehicles like police were circling all day. You could drive yeah. all day. The only roads that were blocked were like various side streets that they had organized. But you and, could just drive
0: yeah. and go around. And they like, weren't blocked to walking traffic. Like nobody was physically blocked in no, their building. No one was physically unless they were blocked. just scared of conservatives. And and some of them are out. still
1: blocked to this day. So clearly, it's not that big of a exactly. deal. Exactly. I was in Ottawa not that long ago. You, you can't drive in some areas of downtown. Right. So clearly, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. So hmm. basically,
2: you can you can corroborate all of these things. Um, they are being corroborated. What I wanted to do now is I I want to, us to understand that what we're witnessing in real time is really the battle between two worldviews. It is a battle about what is real and how do we determine it. So when you listen to the other side, you realize that we are not having a genuine conversation here, that the way that they determine what is real and what is true is actually fundamentally different than us. And um, this is going to have enormous implications on our culture and on the way that we evangelize to people, the way that we understand justice in our nation, what we expect from the courts, this type of thing. So that's kind of where I wanted to go, um, just by way of introduction and maybe open to, to you guys, is I see this as kind of the natural end of a of an unbelieving world, but a progressive worldview—a worldview that is predicated upon expressive individualism. This idea that um, you know the individual is the locus and the arbiter of what is real and true, and and right. more specifically, not just the individual, but even deeper, our feelings. Our our feelings of what is true is true. So, hopefully, as Christians, we've been pushing back on the language of "my truth" for a while. And, and part of the reason is it's not harmless language. Yeah. And we're seeing come out in court, in the court testimony, not court, but in the commission testimony, look, it's okay to affirm your truth and my truth in innocent matters. But what if your truth is I committed a crime that I never did? And now the standard of whether I'm guilty or not is actually your feelings, so one of the great revelations to come out of this is even the former police chief in Ottawa, Bell, kept using the word violence. And when he's pressed on violence by the lawyers, like, do you mean violence according to the criminal code? He said, no. Yeah. He said violence, by violence, I mean the violence felt by the residents of Ottawa. So all of a sudden, there's no objective standard for law by which we can be... Um, by which we are condemned, it's actually the perceptions of people. and you mix into this the rise of just bigotry. Uh, and you have a very, very dangerous, dangerous situation. but this is this is just where unbelief goes. And for all of these people who wanted us to live in this neutral world, this neutral culture, you know, where every everyone's opinions are equally
0: and valid. We, we all agree on what truth is. yeah, it's like, it's, no, no,
2: yeah. we we actually don't. And we're seeing in real time, like a world apart from Christ descends into absolute chaos, bigotry, tyranny, and lies, without exception. So I don't know how you guys felt, Andrew. You followed it a little closer, but I'm watching just this thinking like, this is the twilight of our culture. Like, this is, we're just, we're just almost at the very bottom when, when truth is not truth, when real isn't real, when justice is gone.
1: Like, There's not much deeper you can go. I think part of the problem is, and you mentioned this when you talk about the Officer Bell being pressed on what violence is, or, you know, Zexy Lee saying that it was like the purge. It was a purge-like atmosphere being in Ottawa.
2: Just to clarify, the purge is
1: literally an anarchistic Murderous genocidal It's in, in it's it's a it's a dystopian United States where once a year for twelve hours you are allowed to commit all crimes, murder, rape, without being punished. So she used this comparison. Right. And the only mm. the only the only thing that was purge like about Ottawa was when the officers decided to beat us and pepper spray us yeah. and let off sound grenades. Then yeah. it felt like the purge because yeah. then they felt like they had total license to do whatever they wanted so but when when they're pressed to explain themselves then they fold and they say well it wasn't really like the purge or it wasn't really violence and i think what we're seeing is that people have been given the ability to make arguments and claim things and just assume they're not going to be challenged on it. yeah yeah the assumption is i can say what i want and if it's a part of the zeitgeist yeah if it fits in with the narrative I don't actually have to defend it. Mm-hmm. So when you press them, they don't know what to do, and then when you confront them with truth, then they realize, well, maybe it's wow, maybe it's not actually what I said yeah. or I'll concede. And that's a that's that adds to the the darkness that you're talking about mm-hmm. that people feel that they're justified to say what they want and they're surprised when they have to back it up mm-hmm. and actually give give the foundation for it. Mm-hmm. Which, which, again, is, I mean, that's at the heart of, of a Gnostic belief. That's yeah. at the heart of a Christless worldview where mm-hmm. there ultimately is no foundation. So you don't have to justify yeah. You can just
0: say it is. Yeah, you're like pilot. What is truth? You know? Yeah. And you just go on with your business. But that's interesting. Uh, it seems like one of the roots, well, I guess this would be more of the fruit of one of these things, is a, is a media that is bought and sold by one party. Uh, which never asks hard questions of of certain candidates, and so they know that they can just say, "Oh, it was an insurrection," and that's going to go out as a soundbite. Everybody's going to swallow it whole without questioning it, and nobody's gonna nobody's going to challenge them. So maybe that's there's a shock there when somebody actually does challenge them, like you say. But they're just so used to having the media run cover for them that it's uh, you know. Yeah, I guess they just they just they're interested in power, right? So it's yeah. it's not even about the truth. It's like I'm just going to say this because everybody's going to agree with me. Nobody's going to challenge me. And the whole point is I don't believe in truth anyway. All I believe is naked power. Yeah. So if I can maintain power by telling this lie, who cares? Yeah. Yeah, and Christians Christians need to
2: wake up to this type of thing. I mean again, going back to the earlier testimony, the word that just comes to mind is just bigotry when this young lady is testimony, she's basically confessing and same with the McKenna lady, the mayor candidate. And um, they're basically just confessing their contempt on people they disagree with. And they see it as um, justification, you know, for their moral superiority, but it's actually an admission of your bigotry and bigotry is an irrational intolerance of people basically The word gets used mainly about, you know, people more on the right who disagree with you. You're not a bigot simply because you disagree with someone. Like, we can all affirm that axe murderers are bad. It doesn't make us a bigot because there might be someone who thinks it's okay and we disagree. Disagreement doesn't make you a bigot. It's disagreement that is not rooted in reality, that it's irrational, and it's um, a disdain for people and a contempt purely on the basis of difference. Regardless of whether those differences are valid or not. So it's a refusal to actually engage. So the elites in Ottawa have nothing but contempt. I mean, it reminded me of the my dad loved this far side comic where it said this guy came rushing into the king and he said, Sir, sir, the peasants are revolting. And the king goes, Aren't they though? <laughs> and and it's just like the utter contempt towards the peasants. Yeah. And you listen to this lady talk and you realize like they use were I believe they were genuinely afraid, but they're, they're like the racists in the South who a black person walks into a white neighborhood and they board up the windows. It's like, I yeah. believe you genuinely feel fearful and it's because you're a bigot. Yeah, It's not because that person <laughs> is a genuine threat to you. It's because they're different from you. They are the other. And by virtue of being the other, they're a threat. And so- the testimony is constantly confirming this, that um, there's the, the 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 elite, the ruling class, which is dominated by a progressive worldview, which is dominated by unbelief. It's just it's just bigotry. And the irony is that they're the ones who claim equality. But what Christians are gonna continue to see is that look, when we surrender mm-hmm. the culture, when we surrender the the positions of authority and law and in civic service, et cetera, to people who um, don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, eventually you're just going to descend into inequality mm. and bigotry to the point where, I mean, a bunch of truckers show up um, and they're, they're disruptive at worst and it's treated as a an insurrection, which is literally like a hostile takeover a country. Yeah.
1: Or an occupation, which is when a foreign army comes in, you know what I mean? It was definitely a failed insurrection and occupation if it was that. Yeah. It certainly did not succeed. Yeah. Because they went away peacefully. Yeah. So where do you think it comes from? Right. So, I mean, the what is it that they're bigotrous about? Right, like, we, like I, and I think this is—it's important for us to think about because it can't just be that we're Christians, because there were a lot of non-Christians. Even even though Christians were involved with the organizing of the convoy, and even though Christians had a big part to play in the in the protesting and the praying, that's true. Churches housing people, the truckers, fair enough. But it it, it wasn't just that. There there was there were many people, many truckers, many protesters. You know I saw videos of uh, of people down there who were you know even pro LGbt and they were saying we're still for you know people's freedom to make medical decisions and so are they just are they have they just adopted a slave mentality and they're just you know white mm-hmm. freedom adjacent like what there's a disdain absolutely what is it that they disdain about The peasants? Is it just that they're peasants? Yeah, I think I think bigotry is irrational. Like it's not
2: actually based on our particular beliefs, although they they would hate those too. It's actually by virtue of us not being part of their tribe. It's just it's just intolerance. It's just base. uh, Ironically, from the progressives, it's a deeply base primitive way of acting it's like your tribe is not my tribe and i hate you i hate you because my tribe hates your tribe it's like well would you know anything i don't need to know anything about you i just need to know that you're not my tribe and that's what we descend into that we we lose all capacity to reason all capacity to empathize all capacity to seek understanding we dehumanize people who are different than us. Mm. I mean, the words that were used against truckers to condemn them, the 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 ease at which these people
1: utter these things.
0: Yeah, yeah, and six months earlier they were heroes for working through a pandemic, and then all of a sudden they're,
1: you know, which is what they did to doctors and nurses yeah. as well. That, <clears throat> but, but, but yet not- the, the, the the all the all the people who testified were either government officials. Or employed by the government. They were government employees. Yeah. Or former government employees. Yeah. Or someone running for mayor. And so it was all a particular group of people that they were completely deluded about what was actually going on. But like that one person in particular, the, the Zexy Lee character who said it was like the purge, when she was pressed, it came to pass that she was the one who said to various truckers, go back to F where you came from. Yeah. And that people from her building were throwing eggs at the protest. The only violence she yeah. actually witnessed was from her side. Yeah. So, so completely <laughs> delusional about what actually happened, but you're right. Either a part of the elite class or because of her role as being a government employee, desperately wanting to be a part of that, yeah. that group.
0: Uh, I'd like to push back a little on that though, because that's, I think that's definitely a part of it, but I think they're. For a couple reasons, hostile to anything that smacks of the Christian worldview. Sure, and yeah. That, I mean, that's pretty obvious, right? And so, even though you've got a lot of secular people at the, um, at the the protest, um, uh, for, in the convoy, there's just something like conservatism aligns more with biblical Christianity. Yeah, like that's just that's just the way it is. Yeah. And so even though they're not out and outright believers, any you know if you believe in conservative principles that smacks of uh, a Christianity or a Christian worldview to these elites that they just abhor. And because they don't know anything about us, they think that any attempt by us to do anything is basically us trying to make – you know, The Handmaid's Tale become a reality.
2: Well, they hate the limit of power. They hate the truth. You know, they hate yeah. true compassion. They hate things that Christians ought to they be hate for Christian sexuality and so, Christian. Family. Yeah, they're not like reading the Apostles' Creed and dissecting it and de- deciding whether no. or not they agree. They look at the fruit of Jesus Christ and they truly hate it. Yes, and uh I just wanted to read from James because I guess my like my pastoral concern was. Um, it was shocking to me how many Christians. I mean, it shouldn't have shocked me, but even to hear Christians speak ill and to just buy what the state says, it was. It's not just concerning or or discouraging, rather because I was there. It's like
1: there's a moral defect in you that's really, really wrong. Well, those same people that thought that James Coates was should have yeah. gone to prison for yeah. what he did. Yeah, obviously they're going to have utter disdain for people who are not pastors, yeah. but truckers. So yeah, it's not shocking. It's just, it's, it's incredibly disappointing.
2: So James talks about this in James 2, and he he uses the word partiality. He says, my brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, implying that it's a temptation even for Christians the Lord of glory for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or you sit at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So what's happening is they are treating as worthy of more honor and respect. People who have more material goods and people who have less are less deserving of honor and respect. They're making a moral judgment based on the clothing people wear. Yeah. And that's that's sinful because that's not how God divides people. He doesn't divide, um, you know, between our possessions and he even actually pushes against that. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? but you have dishonored the poor man. So it's not just that, no, no, they should be equal. It's like God actually shows preferential treatment to the poor, to the disenfranchised in one sense, not, not, not in a sinful way. Um, but he actually chooses to you know raise them up out of the position that they're in in honoring them. And he goes on to say, are not the rich the ones who oppress you? And the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who <laughs> blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfilled the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing a sin and convicted by the law as a
1: transgressor. So There's such an indictment in that because what James is saying without saying it in that line, isn't that isn't that what the rich do to you? Yes. When he's saying... You're no better yeah. than the pagans. Yeah. You're just like them. Yeah. You're living like they live. You're treating people the way that they do, and you you have a measure of disdain for them because of what they do because they oppress you. And but so why would you why would you then in 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 glorious lack of self awareness and hypocrisy become like the people that you hate and treat others yeah. the way that they treat you? Yeah, you lack all discernment. And all ability to objectively see reality for what it is—that is a scathing indictment. Just in just in those words, that's all implied. Um, and to you know, if that if we apply that same criticism to Christians, yeah, in the way that they approached the last you know six months, the last two and a half years, boy, that's a heavy word for them. Well, it's
2: just it comes that the lot of Christians just feel contempt for middle and lower class people. They just actually when you defer. So his lo- the logic is, the people that you honour are the ones who are morally inferior. Like, they do bad, immoral things to you, and yet you treat them as if they're better than these people, when they're not the ones who are doing this. If we look at our day and in our country specifically, I mean, people are defer Christians even, defer to the same people who support mutilation of children, who support the genocide of children who support uh, the genocide of the elderly and the mentally ill now through MAID. Mm. As of uh, March, yep. Yeah, as of March, who are um, proposing that our language can be harmful and that we should censor it. Like The same people who openly commit gross injustices, moral wickedness, are the people that we say should be trusted and deferred to. Right. And, and the people who raise their hands and say like, um, my family was torn apart. My child died. Uh, my grand, my mother died alone. It's like nothing
1: but contempt for those people. And this is this is partial. Yeah. Don't those you know, self- how, it, those don't you know how good you
0: got it? Yeah. those people
1: are you're, you're selfish. Yeah. you were selfish for thinking about yourself and your family and for not just doing what everyone said. Like it's it's stay, but it's the things that are leveled against those people. Yeah, the brutal, brutal criticisms yeah. of them as well on top of the disdain. Yeah.
2: And the, and the other thing, if we move from bigotry to lies, it's like the word tells us that the world is in the grip of the evil one and he's a father of lies and that people lie because they're like their father. To mm. defer without any kind of suspicion to yeah. any unbeliever, so but shows, especially it shows those in comp- power.
0: Yeah, it's complete a, lack of discernment.
2: A complete lack of yeah. discernment. And then if you say, hey, I don't know if we should trust them. It's like you're a conspiracy theorist. It's like, no, no. I'm a Bible believer, like I believe that the world is under the control of the devil and that he's a father of lies, and that his children do are like him, like what Jesus says, yeah. and they lie they lied about Jesus right yeah so so why would we expect something different, and I guess the commission is just exposing this is all true, like it's even it's more brazen than people even mm. thought. there's no room for misunderstanding, you know, there's not. Um, we learned more as the science progress
0: or something. It's like just brazen lies and bigotry. Can, let me ask you guys this. Um, it seems like the stuff we see in the public sphere is usually following changes in the culture. Right. I've heard somebody say politics is downstream from yeah. culture. I think it was Andrew Breitbart. Um, so. Like all the, this commission stuff, all the narrative that went on during the uh, convoy, that wouldn't have worked if it hadn't found good soil or bad soil, I would say, in in the hearts of Canadians. Yeah, and so like this has been going on for a long time. Yeah, and these um, these worldview issues have been here for I, at least a generation. Yeah, like we've had we've had human rights tribunals in this province for how long now? over 20 years, yeah. 30 yeah, years 80s now. 80s or something. Yeah, like you could be hauled before a court, uh, not even a court, a kangaroo court uh, and have to pay your own expenses for Well, it's holding-
1: Canadian, so we would say like a caribou court. Maybe. Yeah, caribou court. Yeah. yeah. If we were in Australia, we would say can- which was caribou court. Yeah. Well, I think, I
2: mean, this the the documentary, um, The Antichrist and His Ruined, is going to talk a lot about multiculturalism. And by that, we don't mean the um, gracious and hospitable welcome of, you know, people and refugees who are in need. I mean, I have a refugee living with us and and Jesus was a refugee and Christians ought to care for refugees. The law commands us to do this. We mean the idea that um, beyond that of treating all culturals and culture ideas
1: and practices Mm -hmm. as if they are all the same, uh, and that, the competing cultures that are mutually exclusive can exist yes. together in harmony. Yeah.
2: yeah. So what? So then, what you have from there is you necessarily move into a moral relativism because very quickly you realize there are not only just differences, but some differences are good and bad. I mean, if you think that female genital <laughs> mutilation is a good practice that we should continue, uh, you're a psychopath. But then, what we do to get away from or under, a part of the liberal party. that wasn't party.
0: very winsome, Alex? Yeah.
2: yeah, or or a part of the Liberal Party of Canada? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But what yeah. we but what we then up to do is say, well, it's like, well, that's your practice and this is mine. So, oh, this is great, actually. How a multicultural society can function is you have your little truth bubble and my I have my little truth bubble and they don't really interact. Well, the and that there's a truth to this on the ground. Because above us, we live in this bigger bubble called Christendom, where the way that we think and the laws that we have and our assumptions about one another, including the assumptions of tolerance, are rooted in scripture. But all of a sudden, if if that big bubble, if that worldview that we're, you know, kind of
1: swimming in, living in, dissipates, then we just have competition. Which has been the last, let's say... Rounded out in North America, the last eighty to a hundred years has been that, yes, has been the erosion or what Schaefer called the moorings, yeah, right the bumpers that prevent yeah. the bowling ball from going into the gutter. We've basically disregarded those bumpers, which is a biblical foundation, and now we've been seeing for a couple of generations now that we're just ripping them out. And say no, they, the ball can go right in the gutter. What's I mean? What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Well, the worst that could happen is what we're seeing.
2: And I, I I truly believe that this commission is exposing for us the state of Canada, and it is it is like near the bottom of the barrel. And we are seeing that there are two basically two worldviews. We can either embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. Or we can have absolute chaos and injustice and tyranny and oppression and lies. And those are our only options. And I think what the commission is revealing is that this this illusion of neutrality, this illusion of secularism, this illusion that we can have the good things that Jesus gives, Mm. justice and truth and equality and tolerance without him is a total sham. And it's even, we know this, we're pastors, we're Christians. Like we talk about this, we preach on this, but to see it lived out, it's like, oh, the the head of police in Ottawa was condemning people for violence who didn't commit violence. It's like, welcome to the new normal. This is the new normal where Caesar is Lord. This is what the new normal is. Mm -hmm. And so I think back to your question, this only happens in a culture. This only, the seed can only... Bear its bad fruit in unbelief, and and what we need to do is unapologetically call our culture and our
0: leaders and every citizen to repent and believe. So what you're saying is that a Christianized culture that had sort of these bumpers, like Schaefer called them, uh, laws based on a Christian framework, those would uh, create, I guess, a space for a tolerance. Or a, yeah. a multiculturalism, uh, as long as that's still acknowledged as the overarching, as the basis and right.
2: foundation, right? Um, yeah. So, and that's—I mean—that's a whole other episode. But this is this is what I want Christians to take away from the commission. I want you to look at it. I want look you to just look at it. Just look at it. Just look at it. Would, just you? At
0: it. <laughs> would you just look at it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Just see, like this is the dead end. This is the dead end of unbelief and this is where it always goes and i actually for the first time this week i had a moment i can't remember what triggered it but i actually had a moment of hope like i just i just saw the i just saw christendom 1.0 is just done and but but more importantly secularism and unbelief is parasitic it needs a host it can't survive on its own right. it eats itself alive and I just thought, man, I'm excited for what comes up out of the ashes, that we are in the death throes of a culture. Like, mm. you you can't, you, you literally can't survive as a culture when you say this happened that never happened. And, and when you just make things up as words and there's no criminal code. Like, you just, you can't cease to continue. Yeah, and that's been, to th- exist.
1: Th- this has been, I mean, this has been on blast. Let's, I mean, let's say the last 10, 15 years or so, it's been on blast where what we're seeing with the commission, the idea of, words don't mean what they actually mean reality is the opposite of what it is you can say whatever you want yeah that's exactly what we've seen in the redefinition of marriage yeah. in the redefinition of sexuality Gender, yeah. even 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 the uh, the understanding of politics ver- various political systems various governmental systems yeah. the fact that you can have such a high percentage of millennials support communism while being totally blind to the fact that it has worked this many times in history and has only ended up leading to gross amount of deaths Mm -hmm. or the fact that you can say, Oh yeah, yeah, we can, we can have a, we can have an agnostic kind of atheistic state system that supports a Darwinian evolutionist theory. Mm -hmm. And everywhere that's been tried has also equaled countless deaths this is something that the previous generation, right? Even, even people in the 60s and 70s, at least they would say communism's bad. It's just bad. We need yeah. to fight communism. Mm-hmm. Now, there's the open acceptance of it, even from people in political parties. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. in, in, in my writing, there was a party. They didn't call it this. They called it the People's Choice for Kingston or whatever. But when you read their platform, the platform is free transit for all free healthcare for all affordable housing for all decolonization, decolonization. and um, <laughs> and uh uh um reconciliation defund the police that this is this has received a mainstream voice mm-hmm. this has really grown and so what, what we've seen in the commission is just more bad fruit that's been that has been growing quietly while christians decided to disengage from the culture and from the political sphere, because we thought that would be okay. So we step back. And that's that's what Schaefer talks about, that the the good moorings that hold a culture together hold it together because Christians engage and Christians don't compromise and they assert the authority and the sufficiency of scripture. And then when Christians say, ah, whatever, it all falls apart and something has to step in. Yeah. Something has to come in and hold it together because no one wants anarchy. Right. So what comes in is tyranny.
0: Yeah. But Christians saw secularism as something harmless and neutral that could sort of be the overlord to uh, you know, living peaceably in in the world as Christians.
2: But we well, we're finding
0: out now that it's actually, secularism is actually extremely hostile to yeah. any sort of Christian belief. As well, it's, it's always been in history, yeah. and which we don't understand.
2: Yeah. And it's just a hypocrisy because we've been told that it's immoral to um, you know oppose or, or, or sorry, um, like force your views on someone. But right. secularists have no problem doing that. No, they don't. So it's not what what beliefs will be enforced so to speak but
1: will they be good and righteous ones theocracies are unavoidable yeah so who's theo man and everyone's like a the th- everyone's a theonomist yeah and everyone even paul belie- carter, yeah, even paul carter <laughs> that's right although his theonomy is is weak and pathetic and is why we are where we are culturally yeah you gotta have the right god yeah for everyone sure. pushes a theocracy that's unavoidable what we're and and if anything, you know, I think the last couple of years have have highlighted the fact that presuppositionalism, or view uh, understanding presuppositions in the way people make arguments and what they believe, that that is clearly the old. Clearly, it's the only way that we can. Yeah, view, because if you can't you can't be to evidentialist evidence, or neutral no. anymore. That's done. That this is this is exposed that that is a lie. Evidence and yeah. facts don't matter.
2: And and people don't care. So then it's like, okay, well I'll 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 go into your world and work from your assumptions and show you that on your own the basis of your own belief it just falls apart. One of the things I'm looking at that book on the table, did you bring that?
1: I did bring that. Okay. There was, that there were, something well it? there were a few quotes from it that I thought would be helpful as I was thinking about the topic today, um yeah. that had everything to do with the kind of the woke Culture, or, or or just just absolutely nailing on the head why we are where we are, and people who were alive during the Bolshevik regime during the turn of the century, who see some things happening now that look eerily familiar to yeah. what happened, should cause us should should cause us a little bit of concern. But like I just said, we have been trained to be ahistorical, mm-hmm. and everything is now. Yeah. Right. Forget about looking back at what happened. Forget about understanding again, that in history, right. Secular pagan governments have always been the most destructive force. Yeah. In the world. Always. Let's just forget that. And it'll work this time.
0: There's an arrogance like, um,
1: chronological snobbery is chronological what CS Lewis snobbery it. or an,
0: an arrogance that we are more virtuous than past generations and they couldn't make communism work because they had this problem and this problem but we are more virtuous we're more loving we actually love our neighbors we can make it work it's like there's just that's just so arrogant you have no idea what's in your own heart at that point so one of solzhenitsyn's
2: practical takeaways for our
0: listeners by the way the book is live, live not, not by, by lies. lies by Rod Dreher.
2: And he's picking up on a talk that Solzhenitsyn gave, uh, I believe, in his an address that he made.
1: It was the final address before he was kicked out of the Soviet Union and then fled elsewhere.
2: Mm. Yeah, and so he he lived, and you can read the Gulag Archipelago, and he details this quite extensively. But a world that is run by lies and propaganda, and that's what the Freedom Convoy, the media, and the politicians—it's a propaganda campaign, and it's lies. Um one thing that you can resolve, I mean, Solzhenitsyn says this, you know, resolve, make this your creed. You know, the lie may come into the world. It may even triumph, but not through me. And I think Christians need to resolve to just not tell lies and not to abide by lies, not to enforce, not to encourage, not to give, don't go along with it. And um, whatever that is. And I think the last few years have really conditioned people to do that. And we need to, we need to repent of that and say, no, we are, we follow the truth and we speak the truth and we, we live the truth and we, we do not lie. And, um, it, it, I think that's one of the most practical things, whether that's with your coworkers, whether that's with your family, whether that's with your neighbors, just that part of you, that fearful part of you that just wants to at least go along with the lie. Mm-hmm. We have to resolve not to do that. And And bear up under the consequences of of whatever that may be, because there are there will be consequences. did you want to read something well just
1: as it, it, and it, you've already said this, and this is this is why we need Christians to understand what's really going on, and this yeah. is why we need to tell them the neutrality myth is 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 destructive, and what we're not dealing with. It's not just another worldview. It's something even deeper yeah. that 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 goes all the way down to the core of people. And so this is just a little. And quote it's not here.
2: even just a liberal party.
1: It's sometimes not. on the right. It's yeah, like, yeah. well, if we just got
2: the conservatives in there, <clears throat> oh, it's please, like, but no. If, no. If they no, believe the same down. things, right? If they believe the same worldview, yep. they're just a little further behind.
1: We're going to end up here anyways. Yeah. Go ahead. So uh, this is why Christians today must understand that fundamentally they aren't resisting a different politics but rather what is effectively a rival religion. And I'll read this earlier on. So he talks about the, and this goes to our earlier discussion as to why it is that they have such disdain for us. If they were to try to explain it in, in a conscious way, um, if And the, the, the title of this chapter is Progressivism as Religion, yeah. so very fitting. Very good. So he writes this, if progress is inevitable and the Communist Party is the leader of society's grand march to the progressive future, then the theory goes to resist the party is to stand against the future, yeah. indeed against reality itself or however they determine it. Those who oppose the party oppose progress and freedom and align themselves with greed, backwardness, bigotry, and all manner of injustice.. Yeah. Right. even though they themselves are the greatest perpetrators of all those things. Yeah. they are the bigots, they're the greed, yeah, greedy, they're the power hungry, they're the ones who are about injustice, but yeah. they look at us, right. So back to your question, you know what what is it that's that's going on, what's been brewing culturally? People who would look at the convoy and and with disdain, what they're they're looking at with disdain is people that would elevate, for example, individual rights, freedoms, and responsibilities, Mm -hmm. where this new religion is about a collectivism. It's about the good of the whole, which is why when we were catechizing people during COVID— it's we're all in this together. Oh yeah. yeah. Stay safe together. Oh, this yeah. idea. My skin crawl. Right. And yeah. so, but it's it's catechism and in this new religion, collectivism with daddy God state who takes care of us is important. So the the individual with the individual who can make informed, responsible decisions for themselves, who as an individual would say, You can't pass legislation like that. To just swath over all of us, when as an individual I might have valid reasons for not taking the jab.
0: Yeah, yeah. the but elites opposing, look at us. You're opposing right? progress, so Bingo. you're immoral.
1: And they hate us. They yeah. look at us and they hate us because. What do you mean, you? You're so selfish. I mean, yeah. I, I heard that. Yeah. I heard that from people. You're so selfish. You're not an expert for saying. Yeah. Well, I am an expert. Well, yeah, well, yeah, I would agree because I can expert. read. But, but people, <laughs> people said to me, "Wait a minute, it's lockdown. You want to take your kids to the park?" Why are you so selfish? Mm-hmm. So this, that, this idea of the individual with value and worth and dignity. But again, this we can, the we can law, blow this the law, out. The law, what you've said, though, is that the law
2: is no longer an objective transcendent standard, which is revealed to us, mm-hmm. which we can look at and strive for and judge by. It's actually a class of people yes and their decisions so this is why you see the rhetoric coming in politics too when you question them they'll constantly say you're trying to undermine our institutions That's it's right. a threat whoa, to democracy whoa
0: yeah it's a threat hold to democracy hold on a second question
2: things. you are not democracy you are not our institution or when the we went to ottawa they said you're undermining the rule of law whoa no 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 Don't you question are not the rule the of law science. Yeah, yeah it's like what does this, that mean but they they equate themselves which with whatever is at the, the peak of the moral mountain. So if it's a rule of law, it's a stable democracy, it's stable institutions, it's, you know, the collective good, like they are the gatekeepers of that. And to stand against them is to oppose those mm-hmm. things. But in a Christian worldview, we, and that's tyranny, but in a Christian worldview, no human being, uh, except the Lord Jesus Christ is the full embodiment of the law, you know, d- to whom we owe our absolute allegiance uh, what well, we say, God's word is our law, and His Son is a standard of righteousness, and um, that means that that we can actually disagree with people and not be standing against righteousness and standing against morality. This type of thing. So there's something that's it's deeply insidious, you know, that's going on in that regard. And and again, everyone you said it's crazy that Christians should want the Bible to be our standard. It's like, well, how's this? Now our standard is that guy. Now the standard (laughs) by which we're judged is like a drama teacher, you know, and his cronies and liars and bigots, you know,
1: we haven't done away with the standard. And whoever has the mouthpiece and the audience and the money, that's the standard. And people and Christians need to see that. And this is part of the frustration. So I've been, I've been publicly vocally, um, um, open about my disdain for for Big Eva and the, the the harm it has brought against the broader church and how it has discipled Christians and part of the frustration is Christians have been told to not deploy not employ the kind of tactics or mindset that we think would actually advance, a good Christian culture that are about dominion, that are about actually bringing things under the lordship of Christ. Mm -hmm. We've been told don't do that because that's what's good. And then when the pagans do it, when they take their worldview and they press it out and they make its implications and its application, that same group of people who would criticize the Christian for wanting to actually be Mm -hmm. a dominionist theonomist Mm -hmm. and say, that's bad. When the world does it, that same group of people are completely silent. Mm-hmm. And so Christians who have bought this lie that I can't impose my beliefs on someone else, I can't push my worldview all the way out to the fingertips. Can you not that expect your neighbor doesn't rape people? And yeah. and they do it. So when, 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 when the enemies of God do it, what we've been told not mm. to do, and then our world falls apart, our conclusion is, oh, well— Oh, it's it's all it's all it's, it's going it's going to hell in a handbasket anyways and Jesus yeah. is coming back and it's gonna burn. Wait, no, I mean you like don't believe, don't don't eat these lies that you've been fed when the people on the other side, those who have adopted this new religion, those who are full on in the progress and the grand march through the institutions, they're doing the thing, the tactic that you have been discipled not to do. And what are we seeing? That if we would, if we would just employ that same tactic, look how effective they've been. Yeah, we've been wholly ineffective as an as a Western Christian church because we haven't done the thing. Like they're fulfilling their cultural mandate. Yeah, they're being dominionists. Yeah, yeah, and they're effective because that's. I mean, God's designed the world to work a certain way. But
0: But we would go ahead, Jerry. I I just think that the mistake that Christians have made and this is a big mistake and it's gotten us to where we are today is that we think that our only goal is to preach the gospel so that people can be saved and go to heaven. Right. And so we think, well, obviously people aren't saved through political change. They're saved through a work of the spirit, which is true. And so we think, well, because that's our only goal, we can't employ these other methods, but that's not the only goal of being a Christian, right? We want to bring the Lordship of Christ to bear on all of creation. Right, well, we want to make disciples of all nations. Even yeah. just
1: being stewards, being good be, yeah, stewards even just reco- being good stewards requires yeah. us to be excellent with the stuff we have, how we use the stuff we have, and yeah. how we help others to use the stuff that we have. That's right. just that's good stewardship. So,
0: so that means we need to uh, advocate for laws that are in line with God's law. Don't murder. Don't steal. These are God's laws, right? These are not. Well, how uh, do you those laws do not do not come about through a Darwinian evolutionary worldview no the only pl- way they come out is through a Christian worldview and so as Christians we want to see those laws enforced and on the books and that has nothing to do with preaching the gospel well I guess it does because we want to disable the nations through God's law in that sense but um, but you know what I mean like we can We're, we can do both of these things well what does what is the fruit of belief it's love right
2: and the uh, the I, I would say irony but it's not an irony irony it's it's worse. Um, if we're to teach the nations to obey all that Jesus commanded, I just read from James. What does he command the disciples? He doesn't just say believe the gospel more. He says, practically, stop showing the sin of partiality. Because if you show partiality, you're breaking the law. And we should have customs and practices and traditions and even laws that reflect the law of God. So when Christians says no, we're we're called to preach the gospel and love people. It's like yes, fully great. What does love mean? Right. And so they have to adopt a view of loving their neighbor that is reductionistic, that is compartmentalized, and that is personal. So it's like, great, do you do you think it's good that, you know, 13-year-olds being assaulted is wrong? Well, of course I do. Okay, should we enforce legislation that does that, or should we just let that happen?
0: Do you want to just feel that that's wrong, or do you yeah. want to try and do and something the,
2: about and, it People can say such stupid things because they still live in a world where Christian morality is enforced. Once we lose this, which we are, this whole pietistic, personalized, uh, gnostic view of Jesus Christ dies. It's dead. And it can only exist right now because of Christians who don't think that way. Because of Christians who believe Christ is Lord, loving our neighbor comes out of our fingertips in every aspect of our life. And we need to obey all that Jesus has commanded us. So it's And it just- also
1: we also don't apply that kind of thinking to every other aspect of life. The the thinking that you can't require something of people unless the heart change matches what right. you're asking them to do. Because that's what we're hearing from from the, the, the this ilk, right? They're saying, How dare you have a, a, a country that is built upon biblical principles where we take the truths of the Word of God, and we legislate them, or we make it so that this is what people are required to do, without first the heart change. And then my simple retort to that would be: No one actually believes. So that. you don't. So you don't expect your kids to obey you until they're Christians. That's what yeah. you're saying.
0: You don't expect yeah. your neighbor to not yeah. steal your car. You
1: don't. Yeah. You don't love your wife unless your heart's in it, or you don't work hard. You don't go to work and work hard unless you're like. No one lives in the. Only if the heart matches it, we mm-hmm. require people to act a certain way mentality, no one lives like that, yeah, but for some reason because it's very unpopular and no one wants to be called a Christian nationalist and it's but here's here's the I mean part of the part of what's crazy about it is they do only part of the way though, so they would say, oh we can't have a we can't have this you know Christian nation where we legislate morality, but yet they'll say murder's wrong. They'll say rape is yeah. wrong, and so it's it's almost like yeah, they're those saying are, those
0: are Christian laws,
1: right? And so it's almost like they're saying we do believe in some fashion <laughs> yeah. that God's moral law should work out even in our civic laws, right? But they only go so far, and I think the where they go or the the point where they stop is the point where it gets
0: Ugly. icky. It's where the it's where they agree with the unbeliever. That's as far as or they they don't
1: don't want to be. They don't want to be too hated by the culture. They don't want to be seen as too much of a bigot or as a trans this or an anti uh, sorry a a phobic this or an anti this. So so they only go press it to a certain amount and then they'll say, oh, this is wrong. But how dare you, you know? How dare you would say that? Certain. I mean, a great example would be. With the slaughter of babies. Yeah. Yeah, murder's wrong. Right. Okay. So what about what about the innocent baby that's murdered? What about we have a trial, we determine culpability, and we find out that both a doctor and the mother knowingly and willfully ended the life of that innocent baby, knowing it was a human, and they did it because they knew it would benefit them. That's the definition of murder. So now we need to Prosecute, prosecute the woman of the doctor. Well, no, oh she's, no, she's no, no, a no, 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 no. I thought you said where and so there are no it's it's funny that even those who are professing Christians, mm-hmm. you know, we you talked at the top of the top of the show today that they're creating their own reality, they have no standard, it's whatever they say and you have Christians who when they try to apply God's law are functionally the same. It's almost like they're woefully inconsistent mm-hmm. and okay murder is wrong but it's not murder but when's it murder they're 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 acting the same way they're acting like they've abandoned truth and
2: we're and just to be clear like we're not we're not proposing the way that we can fix our society is by imposing a christian morality and we do so we we want to say that um imposing christian laws for example laws that are based upon scripture wouldn't bring about in itself the change that needs to be brought about. And only the gospel does that. And like you said, the laws and stuff are downstream. And there's a sense in which a transformed you do need transformation for true obedience. But what we're saying is yes and amen, and only the gospel brings that, but there are other reasons why you have laws not to bring about the transformation that God requires. You actually have laws for the protection of others. You have laws that uphold um, in principle the rights of other people. So when God says you shall not kill, he's actually upholding the value of that human individual. And when he says in Genesis, you know, if, if... if a man sheds another man's blood by by a man, his blood shall be shed. Yeah. Why? Because he's created in the image of God. So, retributive justice is not just—it's not about punishment in itself. There is a sense in which human justice is never punishment, in that it never truly um, pays for vengeance. Yeah. The vengeance belongs to the Lord. We can't actually atone for our own sins, yeah. nor can we make someone else atone fully. But it's actually to signify. That person's worth something, and they're worth as much as you. It's, so there's yeah. there's more values to the law, and the problem is when Christians say it's either this or this, and so we
1: want to say like, yes, absolutely. Only a Sith speaks in absolutes, right?
0: Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> thank I mean, you. E- even the fact that the only the only reason we have laws is because of sin. Yeah. right if, if there you was have to curb no evil behavior
1: yeah you have to
0: it's it's not it's not just there it, it is there to teach us what what God values yeah right like human life but it's also there just to, as a response it's, it's there as a restraint against evil yeah do we not want God's restraint against evil yeah in or our do culture? We, or
1: do we want to look at the public inquiry into the emergencies act do we want to look at that and say okay this is the world you're going to live in now yeah Th- this is your world now your world is where people can say things that are provably, demonstrably false, Mm -hmm. redefine words, bring it against you. You can be charged. As you were, um, you know, before we we started recording, as you were kind of talking about some of the the thinking for the show, all I thought about is it's almost like we are just two steps behind minority report.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. It's like we're just on the verge of being able to look at you and say, based on your belief, based on whatever doctrines you hold, we anticipate that you will likely do X here. Yeah. And oh, that's that's crazy talk. Well, that they've would already never happened. They've already talked really? that
2: way in the commission. Yeah they've already talked about things they responding to what they anticipated. It's like, did they commit any crimes? Well no, but we thought maybe they could. It's like, oh my goodness, if right now that you can actually be condemned for crimes even functionally, that you didn't commit. I mean, that's a scary thing. Mm-hmm. Why don't we end by saying, as dark as this is, this is where unbelief goes. This is an amazing opportunity for the light of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I see our culture, the, the wishy-washiness. I remember when the Gospel Coalition said the mushy middle is disappearing, you know, as the mushy middle. But um, we are seeing that. We're seeing the collapse of cultural Christianity in Canada. Cultural Christianity, oh, right. yeah, it's just, it's dying and it can't continue. And that will just continue. But we're seeing the the rise of biblical Christianity and a costly faith and a faith that believes Jesus Christ truly is Lord. And he has authority over all the nations. He is presently the ruler of the kings of the mm-hmm. earth. And he wants us to teach all that he's commanded and this kind of costly comprehensive Christianity where Jesus is Lord and his word is supreme is compelling. And you've experienced this in the freedom movement. I've experienced this. I know you have in your own life as well. Like people who aren't even Christians look and they actually do see that like something is good here. And I just picture the mustard seed and the birds of the air finding refuge and The kingdom, whether we think of Israel's purpose in the Old Testament or the church in the New as a city on a hill, was always meant to be a witness to the nations, was always meant to cause people to look in the chaos and the injustice and the lies that they are surrounded by and even embody to look and say, wow, look at God, look at his law, look at the fruit of it. Ultimately, this is the full
1: revelation of these things is Jesus Christ and and the gospel. And the good things that have... That have come to the surface or the you know the rediscovery of things. You know, part part of what made the Reformation a great period of time was the emphasis in the humanities. Yeah. And now going back to the original languages yes. that the texts were written in. Yeah. The Renaissance. Things were discovered or things were rediscovered that had been that had been lost for a long time. Ad
0: fontes, and right? we back are to the source.
1: We are in we are in that kind of season now where this is a a reformational period where we're, for example having to—I'm thoroughly pleased with the rise of discussion surrounding theonomy and God's law. Mm -hmm. You and I have had many discussions with Mm -hmm. pastors. How do we navigate that? Mm -hmm. The fact that we're having the discussions, Mm -hmm. that we're having to navigate the law of God, Mm -hmm. um, you know, God's operation in history and covenant, like this is good Mm -hmm. for the church. The fact that we're seeing the rise of a presuppositional apologetic, Mm -hmm. because there's no other option now. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) The the, end of a compartmentalized faith, right? right. Like it's just the rediscovery, the importance of rediscovering the Puritans, yeah, and and their so the kind of the couple generations after the reformers Mm -hmm. and their understanding of church-state relationship. So this 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 purifying period that we've gone through, which has been concentrated in the last two and a half years, even even though you know, like you're saying, there is. There's tremendous light and opportunity, and in many ways, despite our failures and in spite of our disobedience, God has granted us tremendous opportunities to show his grace and our unworthiness even more that he should have given Mm -hmm. us less opportunities. But the fact that Christians are starting to think about things and read things and discuss things that have been dormant or that haven't been important for them, that's a tremendous blessing to the church. That will have a sanctifying effect. Yeah. On the people of God, so there's much good to be thankful for coming out of the utter collapse of a a culture. Yeah, and it also gives Christians the opportunity to do the thing that Christians have done for two thousand years, which is rebuild when the whole thing yeah. falls apart. Because yeah. yeah. they're not going to build it. No, the deconstructionists only take it apart. Yeah, the ones who build it. culture are us. It's the church that builds when everything falls apart. Yeah. So there's work to be done. And there's a much, much hope to be found. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Amen. What do you got there?
1: I've just, we're up, we're in first Timothy right now, um, is a church and, and we'd finished a study in revelation because part, partly to dispel a lot of the craziness that that's been, that's been happening with, you know, the microchips and Bill Gates and the beast. And so I wanted to dispel that, but I also found that in many ways, you know, not only do I think, that we are in a, a period of time that's similar to the Reformation. It's not a one-to-one, but I think in many ways we're in a similar context to what the early church was experiencing. and that We find ourselves on the the true biblical Christianity is on the receiving end of all sorts of hate and growing hostility and an, and an oppressive state. And so I wanted to unpack Revelation to encourage our church. Anyway, so we come out of Revelation— and I thought first Timothy's good. Um, I think, Alex, you and I had a discussion about this where we were we were talking about one of the things that we've seen is the importance of personal holiness mm-hmm. and personal sanctification uh, in light of all these pastors and their failings and thinking that it's good now. That's another good thing coming out of this is the importance of truth as it actually affects your everyday life. Mm-hmm. So I thought about First Timothy for our church because I think Paul's argument is— contending for truth and fighting the good fight for the gospel leads to godliness in the home and the individual. Um, Just a portion we covered not that long ago after Paul lays out all his qualifications, uh, he talks about the mystery of godliness and then he, he talks about the departing of the faith from some. And this is the second time he talks about those who devote themselves to deceitful spirits, teaching of demons or myths or endless genealogy. So he's probably talking about the Gnostics he's probably talking about those who create reality based on what they feel a very mm. subjective which is where we where we kind of find ourselves and yet you know you have paul writing to timothy saying that the church the church of the living god the pillar and the buttress of the truth that we are the ones tasked with proclaiming the mystery of godliness yes. mm. and that our job is you know and, and much to the displeasure of Roman Catholics that look at that buttress of the truth and say, oh, we, the church has the authority. Mm. No, no, no. We, we prop up the truth. We hold it out for the world to see. And it is in the context of the family of believers that we together discover, learn and grow in the truth. And then what Paul's saying is when you don't do that, that's where people depart from the faith. Mm-hmm. When you don't commit yourself to being a pillar that props up the truth of the gospel, For all to see Mm -hmm. in all of its veins, then what happens is people depart from the faith, people believe all sorts of crazy demonic Mm -hmm. systems, and then they shipwreck their faith. And so we don't want to see that in the world or in the church. And so what we need to do is we need to understand that we are that pillar and buttress of the truth. Um, And we've been given such an opportunity to do that now. Now more than ever, yeah. eyes are on the, the world is Church in desperate need. Yeah. And they're looking at us. Yeah. Um, and so now's our time to, you know, I said this this past Sunday, you know, don't, you don't put a basket over a light. Mm. <laughs> like that now is the time to shine brightly yeah. um, mm. because God's given us such a great opportunity.
0: Amen. That's great. Thank you. Um, you want to do a little book thing?
2: Yeah. A book, uh, a book I've been reading Actually, I read this week. I crushed it. Like two days, I read this book. It's called uh, Surprised by Oxford. And I believe her name is Carolyn Weber. I guess it came out in like 2011 or something. I hadn't heard about it. Um, I mean, which isn't really saying much, but uh, it's a a memoir. So obviously playing on Lewis's Surprised by Joy and a memoir of his testimony to faith in Christ. And um, Oxford is where he taught. And this Canadian lady actually young lady went to Oxford to study literature and while she was at Oxford she was uh, she was converted and um, actually one of the one of her peers this Christian young man uh, just shared the gospel with her in his dorm room and not with any you know with any uh, you know intent on becoming romantic or anything like that like just a sincere desire to share the gospel and which was encouraging, but it goes through basically her wrestling with the Christian faith in the context of, she's a, she's a brilliant woman. I mean, it left me longing for the kind of um, thought and depth of thought that humans are capable of, that this is in our shallow age. You know, we, people don't think about the riches of God's world and of God himself very deeply at all. And anyhow, It's a very moving story, but I would recommend it to people for a number of reasons. Um, One, it reveals the value of literature. And so she makes a comment early on and how literature is is kind of the pinnacle of human learning in that it encapsulates all of the other areas. So if you think of science and philosophy and history and theology, really good literature takes into account reality or these other sub-disciplines. And there's been a tendency in academia, I don't know for how long, to kind of make these individual subjects and not to teach how they relate to the point where now we need to talk about interdisciplinary studies. It's like, well, there was a time when we understood that everything was related. You don't have to say it's related, but we got so narrowly focused that the history guys do this, archaeology, the philosophy. It's Not so even that within the
0: different disciplines, you know, history of yeah, disciplines. Yes, yeah, special,
1: specialization has. I can't remember who I heard talking about this on a podcast, but specialization in our world has made people less intelligent. Yes, because instead of having to be knowledgeable in a variety of areas, which is helpful. Hyper-focusing in on one overall makes you less intelligent because all you know is your silo, which makes you kind of useless in having to apply it to other areas. And
2: it's the fruit of losing a Christian worldview. When you don't believe the world is a cohesive reality that you think it's compartmentalized and meaningless, then it makes sense that you would just pick something over there and learn it, but you lose the ability to integrate. So we're seeing this even when the public responds to things like the Freedom Convoy, they can't integrate truth. Like they can't actually learn things and receive things. Anyhow, it really drove home to me the value of literature and the value of a comprehensive study, um, not necessarily becoming a PhD in anything, but she's well-versed in philosophy, and she's well-versed in his uh, history, and she's becoming, as she reads scripture, more versed in theology. And all of it, for her, it's not like this area, that area. It's actually just a conversation that's going on in her mind of related things, whether it be a poem you know, or or whatever. And I found that uh very stimulating, encouraging, and affirming that yeah, this the world is this way. It's coherent. And it's coherence is found in Jesus. But when you have Jesus, you actually we're not the ones who are narrow-minded. Like your mind is open to see everything, the riches of everything, and to comprehend it. So that was beautiful. It also left me for a longing. For something like Oxford. Now, she went there in the 90s. My, my friend Megan told me that the 90s, actually, there was a lot of good literary criticism at the time. And the 90s, the way she describes it, even though most of her friends weren't Christians, and they'd obviously forsaken a Christian worldview, um, and even in their own words, they were tethered back still. Like they they still were tethered there. We hadn't reached the tear down the statues and everything is wrong. And the only way to look is forward. Like they hadn't done that yet, and it just left me longing for an institution like that, where you simply go and learn, and you listen, and you and you you, um, basically sit at a table and have a banquet of of truth, and it it made me think. We okay, we need to build one. We need to build that. Yeah. And what will what will all, our children discover? And what are I agree. Our elders were talking last night. We're in the Renaissance mm. phase. We're not in the Reformation phase. We're in the Renaissance phase. Mm. We've left everything behind, and we need to recover it. And once people learn Hebrew again, they're going to read their Bible, you know. But we need to recover the Hebrew. I think that's where we are too. And so Christians need to recover um, the riches. Uh, of the past. And the last thing I'll say, practically um, it's very movingly written is uh, I had an epiphany about the love of God while reading this. I shouldn't say epiphany that probably isn't technically true, but it it was helpful. I've years ago, I struggled with understanding how um, in God giving up his son, how is that a just thing? Like how do you give someone else? maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And what was helpful to me is to have come to a more biblical understanding of the Trinity and that, you know, as John Stott says, um, God gives himself to us. Like he he he's basically protecting us with himself, from himself. And once you realize that although the Father, Son, and Spirit are distinct persons, they are one God, you can't actually talk about God giving his Son without actually understanding that there's a sense in which he's giving himself mm-hmm. when he does that. So it's not like you or you or me would give someone else. It isn't. It's not It's yeah. not the exact same because we are not one yeah. in the way that God himself
0: yeah, is. You can't use a human analogy. No, you, and
2: you can't. And so that got me around the justice piece. It's like, oh, in penal substitution, God is not giving something else. God is giving himself for us, which is what the Old Testament says, that God himself will be our atonement. I'm like, okay. But what I still think I didn't fully get is like Romans 8, 31 to 32, I think, where it says, God... Um, He didn't spare his own son. You know, how will he not give us all things? And the logic is, if God gave what is most valuable to him, he surely will give us what is less valuable, right? We can trust that if his benevolence was infinite, then surely we can trust him to be benevolent with these things. And I struggled to know, I struggled to, I would say, feel. How is this a measure of God's love? And in the book, the... Um, the main character, the one speaking, is having a conversation with her mother, a non-believer, and her mother says, I just don't understand how any parent could give up their child. This is from a mother in a broken home who's very maternal, and it's a very sincere objection. It's like, I just don't get how that's love. And the lady responds with her, her daughter, how could he not? Like, instead of defending it, it's like, well, that's the only thing he could do if he loves us. And I don't know what she went on to say, but it just gripped me. I had this visceral feeling of what it would be like to lose one of my daughters. And I realized, and you can probably relate, and even just as a friend and a brother, you would way rather die than give up your wife, than give up a child. Like in in like a second, like if someone's like, okay, either she goes or you go, it's like not even a, a thought. It's like here, you know? And conversely, it would be far more painful to lose a wife or to lose a child than it would be to lose your life. Way more. All of a sudden, these things are clicking on me and and I realize, and, and only more painful if you love them. If you don't love them, you want to preserve your life. You want to save your life. But if you do love them, you want to give your life. But part of the consequence of loving people is that it's actually more painful to lose them. Than if you were to lose yourself. So putting this together with the atonement and the doctrine of the Trinity, it just hit me that when God gave his son, he wasn't like giving something else or avoiding the pain. It was the most, the most costly thing the father could actually do is to give up that which you love most. Like there's nothing that could that could hurt you more so to speak. There's nothing that could cause more grief in human terms than that, which is showing that there's, that that is the height of his love for people. So you guys might be sitting there thinking, it's like, well, duh, that's the gospel. It's like, I just didn't, it just really came home to me in a visceral way that I didn't quite understand. And it was through her narrative. It was interesting. It wasn't through like, I've read so many books on the atonement. And I've, I've, you know, I got it, but just her interaction and her, the story about it just really drove it home in a way that I didn't get before. So I think it's a great book. Nice. was the, the name of the author? Surprised by Oxford by Carolyn Weber. Carolyn Weber.
0: All right. Any final thoughts there, Pastor DiBartolo?
1: Just as you were sharing the second bit of application there, the importance of um, not being hyper specialized, but but this interdisciplinary study, or the, the the considering many things in in learning and making decisions, I wonder if and I, I, there are many reasons for this. We've talked about them in the past, and even on even today. But I wonder if churches and pastors would have responded to the last two and a half years differently if they didn't believe the lie that my only job is to unpack and teach the Bible and the gospel. Yeah. yeah. If they, if they said something like, listen, I'm not a biologist, but I have a brain. I can read studies. Yeah. I can look at numbers. Yeah. I can, I can, I can understand basically what happens economically yeah. when you stunt food production. Yeah. Like, I wonder if pastors got out of there. My only job is sermon, Sunday, which, by the way, it's a many of them distortion of the Bible, though. right? And many of them loved it because it allowed them to pre-record their sermon and then take yeah. the weekend off because that's all they did. Yeah. But if 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 pastors didn't believe the lie, you know, you're not a scientist. How can you speak to this? No, but I can read. I have a brain. Yeah. And if they if they were a little more intentional in looking at scientific stuff and economic stuff and and trying to understand what will really happen if I shut down mm-hmm. my church. And if I encourage that, what's the broader effect? I wonder if more of them might have – they may not have made a different decision, but they might have been a little more torn about it if they realized this is well, actually going to gonna more- have more a, more, a, gr- a much greater, more far-reaching effect than just – all oh, my people won't get to go to church. Like, there's way more that's going to happen. And I wonder if they would have been more gripped by their decisions.
2: Well, the compartmentalization of knowledge allows for you to have this little ghetto. And outside of that, you're not responsible. But actually, wisdom in the Bible dictates that we be able to um, discern the right path in light of our circumstances, whatever those things are. So, no, you're not a nuclear scientist. You're not a rocket scientist. But you do have responsibilities and uh Jesus knew a lot about agriculture and Paul was a learned man and yeah to suggest that you're supposed to just teach spiritual truths is to totally distort
1: the bible itself and i think this is one of the, the the blessings or lights that have come out of this is we've now had to do we've had to swing the other way and say yeah. well you know what maybe as a church i need to help my people understand law law First aid, economics, food production, right? Like maybe I actually have to help my people grow in other areas that maybe being a pastor isn't just here's the Bible, but maybe being the pastor is here's being a responsible person to care for and provide your family and considering all these other things. And so that's one of the good things that's come out of this is we've, we ourselves have had to become more than just Bible teachers, but actually disciple our people in a number of different ways to help them develop and Well, I would say that's and, just
2: actually teaching
1: the Bible. Right, yes. Fair enough. Yeah. It's actually teaching the Bible. Yeah.
0: Well, you know what? I'm going to make that the last word. And uh, it's been great talk, guys. Thank you for coming all the way from your hometown to Peterborough to be with us. My we pleasure, We flew him in. Lunch is on me.
1: On you? On me. All right. And then then he says, and we're going to Wendy's. Nope. <laughs> oh, we're going
0: somewhere real nice, Clark. Real nice. But anyway, I'm going to leave you with this. We'll see you next time on the Dominion Podcast. But for now, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. See you next time.